This is Darren Curry, and you're listening to Bees Pod. Come on, you bees! And when Hendo left and obviously Paul come back in again, were you still involved then or did you go? Um, you no, I think Paul Paul was always in the background. Not, not like John was with yeah. Tony Cotty, but Paul was in charge of making sure that the new facility got built. Uh, and probably Paul was, Paul always wanted to be the manager again probably. He probably wanted another go at it. Yeah. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. But he was probably always there saying to Tony, look, you know, if it doesn't go right, I'm here. Yeah. You know, so Ian probably had to contend with that. And it got to that stage where I think Paul just probably wanted myself and Ian out of the way um, to finish the season. And, and that's how it was done. We'd we come back and I think when Ian went, Ian phoned me that day and said, look, I'm gone. He said, but you've got to go with me. Yeah. I went, yeah, no, no problem. We were, we were done together. And as I said, I still think the main thing would have been all right. I think... Injuries and the way the club is, and yep. trying to get people in, and recruitment is is an unbelievably tough job there, as as many other managers have found afterwards. Yeah. Um, and I think the key to Ian is, and I like it liken it to Gareth Ainsworth, if you like. Gareth had the first season where we when we was there that got out of it, like Ian did, and the next season was tough with the turnover of players and things like that. Um, but Gaz nearly got relegated on the last day of the season for Wickham. And I think if Ian had had that chance and then got the season after it, they got to the playoffs after that and they built as a football club. Yes, they have, yeah. Um, so I hope, Darren, I hope Darren now gets that chance to grow a football club that if he gets up out of this division, regardless of what happens after that, they stay with him and build a football club. It's the only way to do it. Unless you're going to throw fortunes at it, you have to build a football club. And then from there, was that then a link up with John again at Dagenham? Yeah, I left there. Well, what was funny about that is I remember going to the playoff final uh, for Hendo's first season to watch Shrewsbury Gillingham. And then kind of we spoke about it and I went, come on, we'll be, we'll, we'll be here next year. We'll be at Wembley next year in the playoffs. Yeah. And lo and behold, I was in the playoffs at Wembley next year, <laughs> but with Dagenham. Um, as soon as I left there, John said, look, I want to bring you in here. I've got Tony Roberts, great key experience. I need someone to come in and make sure he's right through it. You've had that experience now on the other side coaching. Um, I think you'll be valuable to what I need to go through. And I went in there straight away for the playoffs. And first game we won 6-0 against Morecambe. Uh, we were more or less through to Wembley. And then we got to Wembley. And, and John, had, John had, and he'd always say this, he had kind of the same thing that he had at Barn. But he had six or seven match winners in that Dagenham team. You know, Arv was there then, but Danny Green, Paul Benson, Josh Scott, he fell on a team that could play the way John wanted to play. But for seven, you know, six or seven of them were, were match winners, and they did. They won games. They, they, they steamrolled Malcolm and, and done a number on Rotherham in the final. So, no, it was a no-brainer going there and, and doing that side of it and getting a great experience as well. And is that where the relationship with Dwight Gale came from? That is, yeah. Right. Um, John's incredible at spotting talent. I mean, we Dwight said that was earlier. Yeah, Dwight was playing at Stansted. He'd been released by someone playing at Stansted. Like I said, John has a network of people going around, and he's very cute about bringing them in and 
he didn't mind, never minded a trialist. So the season <laughs> after that, my job became taking the keepers. I went to play for Hayes and Yedding for a year. Only went in there twice a week. The rest of the week I spent at Dagenham so I could tick over myself, yep. coach. But Monday was a down day for the, the players that had played. And I was in charge then because I couldn't, I'm comfortable doing outfield stuff as well, of taking the bomb squad as it was. The ones who had been sub and the ones who weren't playing. Yeah. And I had, I had Dwight then for probably the first six months while he was on loan at, at uh, Bishop Stortford. Yeah. And this kid was rattling goals in for fun. He scored like 44 in 42 games for Bishop Stortford. And he was just a live wire, but a super, super lad. And uh, I said to John, John, this lad's decent. And he went, yeah, I've made a mistake. And I'm thinking, what do you mean you've made a mistake? He went, I've made a mistake sending him out for a year's loan. I should have kept him here and he'd have been playing. And later the season after, he got straight in the team. I think he lasted about four months. Sold to Peterborough. Not long at Peterborough. Sold to Palace. Yeah. He's had a great career. So, yeah, the relationship with Dwight and hence him retweeting you when yeah. you did the thing was... <laughs> <laughs> I was yeah, like, where's, that, where's that come from? That's just like that's really random. Yeah, yeah. As I said, he still still messaged me and texts me now, really? and I've actually got I've actually got a keeper at Southend now who's Dwight's brother's brother. Oh, Dwight, it's, it's really good. Like it's a, he, he looks after him. So when this lad George Murray Jones came to me, uh, it's Dwight's best mate's brother. If I get it right. Um, so he's always asking how he gets on and stuff like that. So it's good. I still speak to him now. And he's still humble. It's not changed in the Premier League. Brilliant. Well, any time he wants to do a video interview, you know where to send him anyway. Yeah, I'll try and get him on there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, so Hayes and Yedin was obviously just to keep you in trim while you were there, just to, um, while you were at Dagenham. I didn't envisage going and playing another year, but I got an offer there from Gary Haylock. They, somehow they got into the the, the conference and they'd held on there the first year and he went we want to go on time for the first time in our history he said but I need someone to go and play for a year with a group of 18, 19 year olds and somehow keep us in it yeah and you know what I thought I'm a long time not playing I'll go back and do it um, and it probably also it made my mind up at the end of that year that I was I was ready to retire I was 38, 39 at the time and it was great. It was one of my best achievements going there and finishing halfway up a league yeah. with a team that had no budget, um, group of young lads, no supporters, selling their ground. Yeah. You know, we travelled to every away game on a minibus. Yeah. We did a minibus to Barrow, and it was there was no luxury, but it was great. You know, to finish, obviously, Barnet would have been great to finish there, but to yeah. have one more season, and I knew once that had happened, and I knew what was happening at the club. It was time call it a day there yeah. <laughs> uh, and I was quite happy to finish there and then obviously came a testimonial game and that was that was me done and then coaching on to Newport and Wickham two two good coaches there Anthony Hudson and Gareth Ainsworth both with good pedigrees yeah Anthony Anthony was a good lad I'd met him at Dagenham under John John had him coming in as well we'd gone there it was a tough tough ask for Anthony as his first job another one that I think if they'd have left him there um Listen, his pedigree afterwards, you'll see. Yeah. In national sides and yeah, really. people he knows. But he walked into to one hell of a job at, at Newport um, with lots of going, trying to transition a club out of part time to full time with players that didn't want to go full time. Yeah. And 
the club didn't really want to wait for him to see how his results would pan out. Uh, we weren't in the bottom bit. We were probably just not where they thought, well, if we go full time, we should be in the top five. Yeah. And they weren't at the time. They were sort of halfway down and the club just wanted to make a change. And I think giving him till September just was, was farcical. Um, but once he left there, I wasn't going to hang around. You know, yeah. I'd gone there with him. Um, and I, I, I did a caretaker manager's job there until such time as Justin came in and then was quite happy to leave. So, yeah, no, it wasn't, wasn't a long one. And I'm glad to see Anthony's gone on. And, and really, he's fulfilled pedigree. The national teams he's done. Done a great job. Oh, yeah. And then, obviously, Gareth at, at Wickham has done absolutely tremendous there. But shows, yeah, Gareth, shows what happened yeah, Gareth, on time as well. Yeah, Gareth was like... It was actually Gary Waddock, first of all, that took me into there. I had been half a season. Of not, I went back into Dagenham and helped John. Um, but during that time, my boy was really ill. Um, probably a lot of Barney fans will know the story anyway. I know, yeah. yeah. Been the best part of a year in Great Ormond Street Hospital with him. And he came to... And the person I probably got to thank for the Wickham job is Ben Strevens. Oh, really? Um, yeah, because Ben was actually at Wickham at the time then. Um, and the goalkeeper coach had left and she texted me and said, look, I think they're looking for a role. I've, I've thrown your name into Gary Waddock. Yeah. Here's his number, get in touch with him. And I spoke to Gary, went round and met him. Uh, and, and as I said, he'll always be one of my best mates now to this day. We went, I went in there, met him and I said, look, this is my situation. I can't come in full time anywhere. And he went, it's brilliant. He said, the fans trust I took the club over. I can't have a full time goalkeeper coach. Yeah. I went, okay. Um, he said, well, I don't know what they're going to offer. And I said, well, don't worry about it at the moment. I'll work the first month for nothing. I said, because I don't know what I can give you at the moment. So let's, me come in and do it. You see if you like me. Let's sit down in a month's time and then we'll discuss it. And anyway, since the day, he decided to take me off that conversation. He said, the fact that someone would willingly put the reputation on the line for not and not have a contract or not have money, he made his mind up and he said, I just waited for you to say, yeah, I want to do it. And I think I spent three weeks there and I did it. And some of the things he did for me after that, he, he said, if I don't see you for a day, I know where you are. Yeah, You don't need to tell me what's going on. I know what's going on if you need me. And then the day after Luke's operation, he spent nine hours in hospital and we can make Exeter away on the Tuesday night. And I said, look, it's all gone really well. I'm coming to exit and he went you're not coming I said no no I'm coming he said well if you come I'll resign <laughs> I went oh you can't do that to me he said no honestly if you turn up there I'll resign and I think he meant it yeah and he did great for me and he, he ended up leaving late that week anyway because he, he, he'd fallen out with the fans trust and now things were done and Gareth Ainsworth took over and brilliant just just one of the best characters and man managers that you could meet um, alongside Richard Dobson, who's the brains, like the Mr. Miyagi of the, the outfit, um, just comes up with sessions and the way people work. And, and, and the two characters, you know, just, just I've got two, two best mates for life there, um, just because of what I went through and what they do for me. Two, two characters that, you know, so the job Gaz has done on the budget they've got is phenomenal. But as I've said before, given time to do it even through the hard times. Yeah. Key. Key to everything. And then on to West Ham, was that down to Hendo? Absolutely down to Hendo, yeah. Um, uh, Martin was with the Wales team. Yeah. 
um, and going away for probably two, three weeks at a time, a lot of the time. And it wasn't in the days there where you shut down everything and the clubs yeah. all went off and he'd go off and do that. And Endo said, look, there's going to be a role coming up here. I spoke to Marge about you. Um, Marge wants to come in. You're going to be the 23's goalkeeper coach, but every month you're going to be taking the first thing because Marge is going away and he wants someone who's had who's had that experience being around first team players to come in and, and do that. So met with Marge and that's how it came about. Um, and loved that. Honestly, it was great. Great experience. Um, great seeing Ian in that environment, yeah. dealing with first team players. And as I said, Sam Allardyce was great to work for. You know, someone could control a group of multi-millionaires uh, and set them up to get results Again, probably not pleasing on the eye, yeah. But he knew the players he had and how to get the best out of them, and they'd all work for him, you know. And it's almost to be careful what you wish for, you know. And, and listen, I'm not stupid. I know fans out there to be entertained and stuff like that, but um, time at West Ham was fantastic. And I think then when Ian got the Orient job and said, "Do you want to come with me?" Yeah. This time I was on a great right job at West Ham, well looked after, good salary, but. Margin now gone. I wasn't now looking after the first team, although my last game was taking the first team yeah. until Chris got in. It was a no-brainer for me to, to move and go with Ian, even though what became at Orient was, was something that, well, we could write a few books over. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I enjoyed my time at West Ham. I thank Ian because he, he, he got me in there. Great experience, but I wouldn't regret leaving there because I wanted to do first-team football. Is what I think the game's about. And to the Euro bit, Andy Hesson Tyler with you as well, wasn't he, as assistant manager? Yeah. Obviously on the pitch, Orange started really well. Obviously, I had a chat with Hen with, with Hendo. And um then obviously I think you had was it the injuries to McCallum and Simpson? No, McCallum, Simpson, we just lost a lot of key people at a key time. But still seriously, we were up, like eighth, we were still one outside the playoffs, I think, when Ian left. Mm. Um and it all started great, you know, some of the things we walked into in the first bit, we sat through pre-season and we were learning about some of the players' contracts and through no fault of their own, they were on big contracts. Some of the clauses in there they could walk out at any point, we, we didn't know about until one player actually came in there in pre-season and said, uh, by the way, I'm leaving tomorrow. I went, what do you mean you're leaving tomorrow? I went, I've got a clause that anyone up to then I can walk and leave another club and we were going, who's done that and they went well we've done it with the Italians so it was like wow this is but we got our side in there and we had two strikers McCallum and, and Simpson yeah. and we won the first five games and I think we lost one after that where it all went wrong um, but we lost keeper that day CISA had to go to Australia yeah. uh, and it wasn't in a time we had international breaks you lost what you lost and we lost one. And on the strength of losing one game, all of a sudden, the Italians got involved. And then you got a real look at what was going to happen and what was going to go on, where Friday became 15 or 20 of them would turn up in cars like, like the Mafia, stood around the edge of the pitch. The chairman would walk in, look at the ball and go, he's not playing. He doesn't play. No, he play. And it was like, wow, this is interesting. We had Jody back enough, great talent. Yeah, they decided that he wasn't going to play. And, and we were good with Joby. Ian was brilliant with Joby. 
Um, and Joby was good with him, but he was sent down the bottom to go train out the way. And Ian kept going, going, you've got a good player there. Can you let me play? And they weren't they didn't care what they were people. It was just, they read them and they were deciding who was going to play. And, and Ian was good. He was really strong. And but the thing is, if you went up against them, it just became more, more and more difficult and just more and more random, you know, with chairman kicking Andy Essenthal up the backside even when we won it. <laughs> fight him and, uh, you know, coming back on the bus from Hartlepool when we're fourth in the league, but we lost on Sky and the bus was told to divert to a hotel for a week and we weren't allowed to go home. It was just... And then the players looking at it going, what's going on here? And it just become really, really difficult. It become the, the it just become unmanageable. And Ian, as I said, Ian found it tough because people are asking him questions. Well, why is that happening? And you just can't say anything. Yeah. You can't, you can't come out and go, well, you should try doing it. He's got to play. He's got to play. And if I don't play him, I'm going to be sacked. Yeah. It just became, it just became the unmanageable job. Um, and I think for Ian's reputation after that, obviously you're looking at it and going, it's tough when you look like it, you, you've been sacked at the club. But when you watch what, what, what happened afterwards with everyone else who got it afterwards, you start seeing what really happened was what was going on behind the scenes. And I think the supporters will understand that now. Yeah. And what happened for you in between the job you're obviously in now at South End and then leaving Orient? Well, it was quite a quick turnaround. I mean, I stayed on a little bit longer. And, and the thing is, I thought, I kind of knew, and I, I used to... I knew I was just waiting for the time when it was all going to be go wrong and it was going to be my turn you know and Hess was the same and that culminated in a time where Kevin Olin was injured yeah. um, and they decided that they wanted one of their advisors to be the goalkeeper coach at the weekend oh. and the chairman to phone the subs through he's <laughs> watching the game from his flat in Mayfair and I went I'm not doing this I said if you're changing my role then just sack me yeah, pay off my contract and sack me. I'm not. I can't do that because I've, I've kind of found a way of doing it. By if you're changing my role, that's changing my contract. Yeah. So technically, you're you're firing me. And they kind of didn't know what to do with it. These advisors, so oh, chairman's obviously said you've got to do this. And I remember getting it done. And I went, well, I'll, I'll go out there and take the game on the Saturday unless you sack me. Um, I said you've got to tomorrow, otherwise I'll be out there still doing it. And they, they got the email through. And I remember going over Hess and went, Hess went, have you managed to do that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't do that for me. And so I left there and I had to, I had six months still left from paying me off and I had to sit there and wait it out. But Southend came in yeah. um, before that time and wanted to bring me in. They wanted to, they had a part-time goalkeeper coach, wanted to go full-time with it. Yeah. Um, I was local to the area. UC Ascaline had a big say in what went on, New Phil Brown. Um, I met Phil Brown and lo and behold, I got offered the job there. But I still had to get out of what the last six months was in the contract at Orion. And the only way I could do it was, I'm not going to get arrested for this, is by blackmailing them. Yeah. Um, I did it in a way that I knew I wasn't going to get my money off them. Yeah. Um, I was never going to be out of job out then. So I actually said, you've got one choice. You can, you can, let me go and I want all the money you owe me to go to Great Ormond Street Hospital. I said, and if you don't do that, I'll go to the press and say that you haven't done it. And lo and behold, they agreed straight away. 
And to be fair to them, they turned up at Southend with the check. Really? But the only way I was going to get something out of them, get out of it. So the only one time I've used blackmail, I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously with Southend as well, being, you know, we're still in the middle of this lockdown, football finished, League One didn't complete. What's it like being involved in a football club that couldn't play football and couldn't do anything for three months? Uh, it's been strange. I mean, like, with the, the clubs, I uh, wouldn't say he's in a great place anyway. Uh, I'm probably at that stage now where I can say everything I can say. I don't a lot about Southend. Um, it's been tough times. We've been, you know, suspended points we've got hanging over us. Uh, financially, it hasn't been great. But you're hoping after this it can sort of reset itself. Um, but like anything, you know, like a Barnet, they've sat since April not knowing what's going on. Uh, we've sat there now. We've had half an inkling that, that what's going to happen has just taken too long to get to yeah. what's happened. Everyone knew we were going to finish the season because most of the club didn't want to carry on playing. Um, but we had to get to decisions that hadn't been made or the EFL had never foreseen what was going to happen. Oh. So it's been strange because we it's been the first time you generally have weeks off between the season finishing and starting back. But in that time as a coach, you're talking about players, you're liaising with players, you're working out what you're going to do next season, pre-season friendlies. Yeah. It's the first time ever we've had three months with nothing because you can't play and you don't know when we're starting again. You don't know what division we were going to be in. You don't know <laughs> what's what. So it's been a really strange time. It's been nice in a way because you've had 20-odd years of just constant. But now it gives me time to do things like this. So, uh, um, like I said, it's probably a good thing to reset and reset football, if you like, because people are now going to be a lot more pragmatic with what they do behind the scenes. It's probably a good thing. And not every club's just going to chase the dream now. And supporters are now just going to be happy to have football clubs, I think, coming out of this. Not, well, we should be promoted. We're just going to be happy to go back and watch games of football. So, I think it's been a good thing. But strange for us. Very, very strange. Well, for me, you know, I've just been sitting in front of a video camera instead. That's been my, that's been my three months. <laughs> right, that's brought us right up to date with you, exactly where we are. Um, yeah. right, first thing we'll go through then, what's your best Barnet 11? So, what I've done now, because we've been furloughed, Yes. <laughs> because we've been furloughed and, and now we've come back and the rules have changed, yeah. you've actually now got to give me 11 and 9 subs apparently. Yeah, something like that. I think I, I, I can't remember who I gave so many subs. I've got no idea what Darren's got left <laughs> when he comes back. I'm not sure if he's already squads on furlough or he's actually players or he could get a new 11. Well, he is, he, he is getting his boots out himself as far as I know. He's re-registering for the playoffs. So. He, he, won't have, he won't have lost his pace. Um, <laughs> sure he's still got the quality. So I'd still play him. Right, go on then. Who have okay. you got? Right, so got Mike Taylor in goal. Yep. Um, which was obviously a tricky one for me because I probably played all the times I was there. Um, but Mike, for that six months, you could tell he was going to go on and be yeah. a Premier League keeper. So for me, that position was probably a no-brainer. Yep. Um, the others are all a lot more difficult <laughs> after that because obviously covering two different yeah, eras. I know. I know. Playoff team and then more experienced players. This is tricky. Uh, so right back, um, and I can get away with this now because Endo didn't pick me. Yeah. So I can put Sam Stockton at right back. Um, 
uh, and nothing to do with Ian was a super captain, but probably led it all when I wasn't at the club. Yeah, you know, he dragged that club through it to get them back in the league. And probably like myself going into the second my second spell, we weren't our best. You know, we were the best versions of ourselves. We yeah. players then. And Sam was a young lad who came in from Southampton and started as a novice, but in the two or three seasons grew to be a man and could run and, and did you know, probably become a crowd favourite. Well, you know, not many people get. I think as Darren said, he did all of Darren's running for him for two years. He did all of Darren's running, so Darren <laughs> could just stand up there. Um, I like I said, I'll never forget anyone who gets a t shirt for scoring their first goal. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. They've got to go in the team. Uh, so, no, Sam stopped it right back. Yep. Then centre half got Lee Primus, um, yep. another one. Played with him as a kid, and then seeing him grow and then playing that first season with him, he was a, another one that was only going to go on and play at the highest level. And then to see him go ready and then go on to win the FA Cup, yeah. No, another one. You know, we had a lot of talented centre halves that I had to go through. You know, I've got um, Simon King then as a partnership. Yep. I've got the strong physical one, but Kingy, Kingy wasn't the biggest. Um, but what Kingy was, he just could position himself all the time and just do the right things at the right time. And for an old timer, when you're playing with someone like that, it was great. He was just comfortable on the ball, never fussed by things. You always knew what you were going to get with Kingy. You know, you knew you were going to get that seven out of ten every week with him. Yeah. Um, so he, he went in. So it's tough because I had like the Greg Hills, the Lee House, you know, back, Arbs. I had so many. Um, the left back was the one because I've, I've never felt we really, in my time there, the left back one was always one that no one ever really yeah. took off there. You know, Mickey Hull coming out a year yeah. and was okay. Rob, Rob Sawyer did okay. Yeah. Um, I've put Kenny Gillet there. Kenny yeah. was probably yeah. Kenny was probably the most talented. Um, had a great left foot on him, could run. Yeah. Wasn't bad in the air himself. Typical French hothead sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and you knew when he, he was having a hot head moment because he spoke in French. Um, <laughs> I've got great, you know, good athlete, gone great with Kenny, and probably someone who had two or three years in there and should have gone on. Yeah, yeah. And gone on and played at a higher level. As I said, no disrespect to the others that played there. We never really had someone who nailed the left back slot and no, made it the yeah, Adam Grass. They all played kind of a season and never really. Yeah, you know, remember that. There was yep. just. Pendable, but nothing special. But Kenny, yeah. that's Kenny. Great athlete and everything like that. So he'd probably go in there for me. Yeah, good choice. So we're going to go four across the middle. Yep. And I've got to put him in there. And Darren Curry, I've got to put him in. And right. I'm even going to allow him to stand up on the right on his own. Um, as as I said, just... One question. If you hadn't have picked Sam at right back, could you have picked Darren as your right midfielder? Yeah, this is the one. So now you're right. You would have you'd have changed it round, and, and you're right. If I'd have put someone else in at right wing, yeah, I'd have put Endo in there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is neither. Um, but Darren, Jack Darren, just had quality above. You know, he probably had premier quality with what he had in his feet. And I'm not trying to to big him up here. You know, if Darren had pace. He'd have played in the Premier League. He would, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Absolute, no yeah. doubt he'd have played in the Premier League because if you ever want someone to deliver a ball, he'd put it on the money. If you wanted to trust someone with the football in tight spaces, he'd put it, he, he, he could play left foot, right foot, 
Um, as I said, he, he was actually a good athlete, Darren. If you did the running, his stamina, he could run all day. He didn't have that yard of pace, but he didn't need it. No. Because yeah. he could he could shop and, and just his brain was probably two or three levels above yeah. most of our players and what they could do. And it was, no, you know, no surprise to see him go Wickham, Ipswich. Right. You know, and someone, as I said, I always want someone to play, the, to do something that I, as a support, you go there to watch someone do something that you couldn't do yourself. Um, and most people can run and do stuff like that. But Darren, delivering crosses, you know, if he, if he delivered one that was poor, you were shocked. So Darren went in there for me. Yeah. Next one. So centre midfield. Yep. Now I'm going to put in, and this is some statement when I say this is probably the hardest player I've ever played with. John Dean. Paul Wilson. Paul, yeah. Paul Wilson. Now Paul Wilson was one of those like did all the ugly stuff and horrible stuff, but could actually pass and play. Mm. And 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 why I say. It's a tough one because Endo was probably the next hardest person I've really played with. <laughs> uh, but Wills, Wills was just this quiet, unassuming, but he had a reputation with the supporters. Yeah. He had a reputation with other teams as an enforcer. Yeah. I mean, like Gary Brabin was this mm -hmm. night, night doorman that I saw everyone else have fear of except Wills. Yeah. And Gary Brabin actually knew it. He respected him. But Wills was that, I said, you'd sit him in there and he did all the horrible, ugly stuff that he'd want a midfielder to do. And that like I said, he was great for those first few years in there. He was the senior one that players looked up to to say, that's how you become a Barnet player. That's what a Barnet player is. You know, yeah. no, no, we finish the game, we go down to the Bart Seals Pools. So he's the one that brought that from the conference days of winning it there into the group that I came into that then carried on into the days when Hendo probably himself would still go and do it. Yeah. So, Will Saul Day, um, great lad, no nonsense, hard as you like, and an unbelievable penalty taker. Yeah, definitely. Unbelievable penalty yeah. And as I said, that's something with Hendo in the team, with yeah. Hendo as well. Great. So, alongside him, I've got Nicky Bailey. Yeah. Nicky, another one, super talented. Uh, would often try and do more than he needed to. Could, you know, want to get the ball off you at the back and then be up front getting the ball there and, and playing him with Hess was a was a dream. You know, because Nicky had great energy, hot-headed, but could score goals, take people on. Just just a great, great. Got on with him, thank, yeah, got on with him really, really well. Um, and could be difficult to get on with um, because he had that hot-headed him. But just like, could do everything, could tackle, pass, spray the ball, but could score as well. And and could defend by the way. He could, yeah. He was the um he was the first first player I sponsored um yeah. on it. I'd um uh, Kevin I'd I'd i spoken to Kevin Mullen and said um I'm yeah. interested in doing some sponsorship and um he said well, I think Nicky was I think Nicky was Paul's first signing as well, wasn't he? Yeah. Club. Yeah. Um and he said uh, he said we signed this sign this young lad from Sutton. He said, I don't think he's going to get in a team to start with and that. He said, but, you know, do you fancy it? So, yeah, all right. Then first few games, obviously, he didn't really play very much, did he? And then, and then he got in, cemented his place in there. Um, and I sponsored him up, in, up until he went. Like, Charlton, when he went first. Or was it South yeah. End? Yeah. Another one who then goes on and has a, a great, yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah. goes on and, and fulfills exactly what he, he should have. Yeah, you know? definitely. And he's still, still, still turning out. Oh, no, yeah, still playing out. 
Yeah. Good. Um, and then I've only one more wing slot left, which doesn't yeah. help when you've got a Doma, yeah. you know, like uh, Velassi. And yeah. the one I'm putting in is Jason Punching. Thompson. Yeah. Um, because, like I said, another one who fulfilled exactly what he should have done, gone on to play at the highest level. Yeah. And, and probably had a troublesome time in football at that time with off the field stuff, but coming in, but just was strong. Um, wasn't lightning quick, but if he faced you up on the edge of the area, you just thought they're in trouble here. Yeah, and that's um, that's great. You know the games, punches free kick at Brad, home to Bradford. He's bent over Hereford yep. volley, throws me away a volley. Um, the Hartlepool game where he's got the arm with Danny Wilson, wins the game when Hartley hasn't been beaten for twenty three games. Takes his shirt off and throws it at him. Um, <laughs> And then, for me, the one, the Colchester one, where he wins the FA Cup tie, where he's got him on the edge of the area. Um, and I'm hoping someone's still got the goal somewhere to find it. But because Colchester was flying high at the time. But punch, punch all day. And like I said, great talent. Great, great talent. You know, and it was good to see him go on and on again. You know, because he, he had it the hard way, punch. He got released at a few clubs and he had to go do it the hard way. So, now I'm pleased for him. Mm-hmm. So now forwards, yep. Sioux forwards. So from a first spell, Sean Devine. Um, now, you wouldn't put Sean in your team if you wanted someone to be a team player. And if you're watching this, I hope he takes this the right way. <laughs> but if you wanted someone to score your goals and just run past people and make something out of nothing, Sean could do it. Sean, Sean could be anonymous for 60 minutes. And then you could go away to Darlington and be 2-1 down and you'll go and get a hat-trick. Yeah. Um, and also look at you, if you go 1-0 down, and look at you and go, what are you lot doing? And you go, geez, you haven't moved all game. But <laughs> no, like I said, the first two years I was there, Sean was phenomenal. Phenomenal as a striker. You know, and, and he played, but because he did it over the two years was I was there, and, and Gratz was probably a more natural finisher than Sean. But yeah. because I only regrets for that last year, Sean, yeah. Sean had to go in for me because he was just another one who, who went again because he was that natural goal scorer. Yeah. Uh, and, and just in Farnborough away when he scores two goals that yeah. are just... Cracking goals. You know, he could do that, Sean. He could Norwich, Norwich at home in the cup. He could run past people strong, finish, you know, like I said. So, love playing with him. And then alongside him, Scott McLeish. Um, because Scotty was a bit of everything, an absolute live wire. And he put, Scotty 80 years old and he'd probably be bouncing around the walls at home on an, on an Xbox because that was him. If there, if there was someone who could be the first in the queue outside the, uh, the the Sony PlayStation store and still be at training and be the liveliest person, it would be Scotty. Um, but what was great about him is he was an outlet. You could still hit him in the air and he'd win headers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and people never really saw that from him until you played against him. Um, but he'd run all day, he'd run the channels for you. He'd just be a pest. You'd, you'd hate playing against him, but you'd yeah. love it having him on your team. Yeah, definitely. Um, but Scotty, and he could score a goal. Had uh, stuff like that. And so Scotty, Scotty went in me. Um, as I said, resided in for two or three years and he was a good signing for us when he came in. Mm. He was almost a missing piece coming in alongside you know, yeah. and Sean, but Scotty just added another dimension to what we were. And he played these two together. 
Yeah, so no, Scotty, Scotty went in for me. He'd probably get in now. The only thing about Scotty was every time he played against us afterwards, he scored. Yeah. <laughs> but every time he scored against us, he lost. So it was actually a time when I, before the game, I go, he scored today, Scott. So actually, I don't mind you. It's, uh, it's conceding. And he did it for Northampton and we won 4 1. He did it for Wickham and we won 2 1. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to score today. I've got to go the other way. No, but brilliant. Scotty's good. So, subs. Yep. And as I said, I've got nine subs because yep, unfortunately the rules have changed yep. and it, it, it gets me out of trouble for not mentioning anyone. <laughs> so, in goal um, was a tough one, obviously, because I didn't have many other people that play around me. So, I've gone for Jake Cole because um, Coley had a year where I was really there as a player stroke coach. Yep. Coley came in following on from myself. She finished the season really well and then went on to be player of the year after that. Yeah. Um, and probably didn't go on and have the career he should have done after right. that. But for, those, for that year and a half, I think when we took him on loan, everyone went, this is the one we need to go and get. And yeah. lo and behold, we did go and get him. And even in that year that Ian left, Coley was still different class, played every game. I mean, his men has played every game all the way through and Coley did it. So Coley went on the bench. Um, Hendo definitely on the bench for me. Yep. So at least I can say I put him on the bench and he didn't put me <laughs> near it. <laughs> uh, but to be fair, he was actually right because I came to Barnet uh, at a time when I wasn't what he would consider the main yeah. man. So yeah. uh, I get that. But Hendo, definitely, you, you'd have him in there as a leader all day long. And as I said, the only reason I've probably gone with Sam is because Sam had those two, three years that I played alongside him in playoff years. And, and Hendo, like myself, and I come through and got the clubs through and we were the players that were in there really just to help the team we weren't at the top end of our career like Hess and so but Hendo all day you'd have to have him in that changing room you know because as a leader he was different class Grat's the same put Grat's in yep my natural finisher I've seen um, and sadly for me I didn't get to spend longer with him because um, watching him through the conference years and I came to watch games was unbelievable. Yeah, right. He had all the clever finishes, Grats. Yeah. Yeah. No pace like Darren, but he knew how to play on the shoulder and time his runs. Yeah. Um, so Grats, and he removed my roommate as well, so I've got to put him in. <laughs> he, um, did, he did mention that two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah no, I said, like, we always used to say, what, what goes on in room 72 stays there. <laughs> so I'll be good to that day. Um, Mark Harbour, centre half. Yeah. As I said, great talent, Arbs. Could, you know, he started the, the, of the, the more cultured centre half that we started getting in instead of the, the head it, kick it brigade. You know, ours had that culture to play, and it was always going to leave the club because that's the type of player he was. It was, it was a stepping stone for him, but good player. John Doolan, then I've got centre, uh, centre midfield. There's another one. Probably in the Nicky Bailey mould where he'd get around the pitch and get on the ball, but I think Nicky probably had could break right beyond. He was probably a better athlete than John. John had a range of passing, but he probably had the extras. But John was great for us again in that, that year. He was, Coming yeah. in at the right yeah. time and could do the stuff. And I've got Albert Adoma. Yeah. Because anyone comes on the scene like he did from non-league yeah. and he just took it by storm. Yeah. He could run, take people on. And there was a fear in full-back's eyes when, you know, and, and, and you're probably right, Doma was probably the best person for Albert to play in front, front of. 
So Albert, then I've got Ken Charlery, great centre for us. Could do all the hold up play, link play, stuff like that, Ken. Then the last two, John O'Flynn, the yep. next most natural scorer that I've probably seen at a football club. What Hendo said, yeah. Natural, like brilliant, you know. Barry Files used to say to us that we actually think we got the best, we got the best out of John. Those years, you've done great because he had him at Peterborough and he never really happened for him. Yeah. Um, but John was another one, probably like Gratz, you know, that that clever centre forward that could nick a goal, the little flick-ons, the, yeah. the clever fish. Great, great lad, good lad as well. And then my last one is probably one that you probably wouldn't want to put him on the pitch. Right. But you'd have him in the changing room. Billy Manuel. Because <laughs> the, 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 best, the best entertainments manager I've ever been with at a football club. I've heard that. <laughs> Bill, Bill you, you, just, you just put Bill in the changing room because he had a way of getting everyone involved. Mm. Um, as I said, Lee Alves to call him the entertainments manager. <laughs> uh, because he, keep, he, just, he had a way of taking the mickey out of himself taking the mickey out of everyone in the change room and and Stevie Searle was one. He used to travel in with Stevie Searle and Stevie Searle came in just a young boy and probably six months in the car with Billy. He grew up very, very quickly. Um, <laughs> so all, Bill there because, and Bill was clever about how he managed on Steele because he'd come with Stilly and he knew just the right time to go see him and say, I yeah. think the lads need this. Um, but I wouldn't put him on the pitch. <laughs> Brilliant, that's a good can you could you imagine though that team with with Darren and Punchin down both wings? Yeah. Those two strikers. You know, that would be uh and that, be, and that was that was tough because I had the two spells. Yeah. You probably could take most of my subs and just put them in there as well and Easy. it wouldn't change it that much. Yeah, no, that's a good cracking team. I think to be honest, all of you though, different spells you've had, Gary, Hendo, Grant, yeah. yourself. Um, you know, and, and Martin as well. You know, the players you got to pick from. I think sometimes it's easy to forget some of the players that have pulled on a Barnet shirt. Yeah. Um, because you, you know, you a new one comes along, oh, he's quite good, and then you forget about you know someone from two years ago. It's so easy to do it, and I think selecting these elevens doesn't half trigger some memories. I think Barnet's been great because it's always been a place that has produced good. Play. I mean, I've seen the boy Taylor now. At, Barnet this year yeah, play and then yeah brilliant like I said watched him and I thought no we could go along I don't think he'll be long at Peterborough no that's what we've said yeah. I don't think he'll be long at Peterborough so there's another one there that goes and will go again yeah. we've probably got the right pathway Peterborough's another one that Barnet moved players on now and Peterborough do the next moving on and it works but I've seen him up live seen him over at Barnet brilliant you know another one that will go on again definitely definitely right question time Ready? Yeah, go on. <laughs> uh, right. First one from Sam BFC. After winning Player of the Year three years in a row, how close did you come to moving on to bigger things when your reputation was at its peak? Yeah, I think there's probably a couple of times. I know Ipswich was one. Yeah. Cardiff was one. And then Hess at Gillingham was definitely one. And I think I just got priced out of the market. Um, I think Tony wanted too much from Gillingham at the time when they were in the championship. Yeah. Um, probably, I wasn't one of those to go knocking on people's doors and go, uh, and, and Scotty McLeish won't forgive me for this. Or Scotty was one of those. If he, if he, someone was coming for him, 
he was down there on a Monday morning at seven o'clock, knocking on the chairman's door. I need to be going. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't one of those, and probably if I'd have been, probably would have forced to move somewhere. Um, and I don't regret that because I don't look up, I don't look back on my time at Barnet and go, oh, I just played at Barnet. I'm proud of the, that I played as many games as I did and had the career that I did, and that I can look back on this and still have the memories I did. Yeah. So I probably did come very close. Probably not not at the end of the third year, but probably in the second year. Where I'd had the first the first playoff season, and then after that, there was a lot of talk and, and people coming along. And as I said, I think Tony had always gone, "I want that," and I probably could have gone and knocked the door down and gone, "I want to go. I'm not playing for you. I want to go." But that wasn't it. Just wasn't in my makeup. Um, it wasn't that. I was always like loyal, probably for my for my faults. Um, but as I said, I wouldn't change it now. You know, obviously, you want to go and play as high as you can. I wouldn't change it because I was sitting here now and then going through all these memories and which is I think what's what the game's about you know you want to have those times where you sit down with all these teammates and go do you remember the night there and do you remember that and we're supporters so I wouldn't change it I wouldn't change it okay and um, right one from Let's Be 95 I was looking for this one earlier but I couldn't find it um, what was your reactions and failings after we failed to get that penalty at Colchester when Dean Samuels was fouled in the box furious <laughs> honestly angry just couldn't believe it. Um, you know, just trying to work out how he's come up with obstruction for someone being brought down in the box. Um, he just felt cheated. Honestly, just felt cheated. I think the game went and they all ran on the pitch and I actually just stood in the goal. Yeah. Because they were all running past the net and I just stood there. I just, I just couldn't believe that had happened. Because I honestly thought, like I said, you've got Paul Wilson on the pitch and you just think, that's it. We're through. We're going to play it. Well. And I couldn't, Normally, I can watch any game afterwards. I couldn't watch the playoff final. I went on holiday. Just yeah. went. I did not care who won that game. No, didn't want to lose. No, I didn't want to know. I didn't. I wasn't interested. It was just. I was honestly furious because I just thought he just. And I'm not saying the referees cheats, but I just think he bottled the decision. Absolutely bottled the decision. It was one of his last games, I think. Ref, I think it was his right. retiring after. Yeah, but. It was just, I couldn't work out and come up with that. It was almost like he'd made a decision up to appease us. So, no, furious. I was okay. furious. Right, couple from Carla Devine. First one, best Barnet memory? Best Barnet memory. That's a good one. I think, do you know what? I, I think probably making my league debut. Yeah. Great. Because like, I, I think I'd waited that long for it. I think yeah. my league debut might have been Swansea away if I'm right. Um, it was on a frozen pit. I loved it. Loved it. So that was one of my favourite memories. And then definitely, definitely, um, I think the testimonial game. Because you just wanted one more chance to come here and play there. Yeah. You know, I didn't care. It was only 15 minutes. So I got to play there one more time. So the, the, the beginning and the end, because all the other games are great. You know, I don't, the bad, the good, everything like that. They're all in the middle and they're great. But, you always remember, and I have to say, the, the, probably one more, uh, one more I'll throw in there is actually the Barnet Wickham game, the last game under him. Right. Although I was at Wickham at the time, yeah. it was just to have that chance to come back there and be part of it was just was enough for me. You know, we could have been anywhere in the country that day, but just to share that with everyone there, you know, I needed that. I had a cuddle with Tony after the game, after you know, because 
we were safe then. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a big game. Yeah. <coughs> for us. So, yeah, definitely that one. Sorry, voice is gone. What do you like most about playing for Barnet? Uh, uh, well, I'll be back, promise. <laughs> so it's north three hours in May, I lost my voice, it's coming back. Um, say that again. What, was your, what did you like most about playing for Barnet? Playing at Underhill. I love the fact that everyone else hated it, yeah. and I loved it. <laughs> I, love, I love the fact that other teams come there and they almost overthought that you had to go uphill, downhill, and that it was all about winning the toss because it didn't matter to us. No. Um, it was actually not that bad playing up the hill. Yeah. I think we played um, Lincoln once, and um, they were adamant they wanted to turn the game around and kick down the hill. And they held this high line, and we just kept putting the ball over the top, and Albert Adama ran right. And we were fighting up at half-time. So playing up the hill was brilliant because everyone hated it and loved it. Okay. And how are you enjoying your role at South End? Um, look, I love being involved in football, so that's good. It's been tough there the last year. Um, it's a privilege to be involved in football for me. So, any time, look, you're a long time not doing it. Even when I finish this, I won't be doing it. So, I think being involved in the game is, is you know, there's people that, that, you know, would give up everything just to, to have the chance of done some of the things that I've done. So, I'll always appreciate it. You know, the good times, the bad times. It's the game that we love, so you can't not love not being in it. Okay. Right, a couple from James Castle, and these two will get you thinking. Go on. Consider your best save for Barnet in terms of match importance, one that turned the game, etc. <coughs> oh, good question. Mm. I think a group of saves, really. Yeah. Um, at Torquay, a game where I think they had about 25 shots on target. It was when we were in a good run as well. And I think we had one set piece, and lo and behold, Darren Curry delivers it and Greg scores it because we could do that. But I just think there was one first half and he's, he'd have hit, a, hit a volley and I've turned it over the bar. And it was like the catalyst for the performance for me that day. I actually don't think I started the game that great. And I actually got a 10 in the paper. And I always said to Stilly, I'm glad they didn't see the first 20 minutes. I didn't think I was great. But there was a sniff that they hit a volley and I got back and turned it over the bar and it activated everything about the game for me. So it was a turning point for me, not necessarily the game, but after that, they battered life out of us and we did what we did. Yeah. We go and score a goal. So that one, that one was definitely in my memory. Um, so yeah, that, that day I won't forget in a hurry. Okay. And I want to break from his questions to go to MTB's questions because he actually features that Torquay game that says, you remember okay. Match Magazine giving you a 10 out of 10 for a way Torquay in a 1-0 win where they battered us. Um, what do you see as your best performance in a B shirt? Well, that was one of them. Like, that was definitely definitely up there with one of them. Um, and I remember John Doolan coming back. <laughs> John was a big Liverpool fan. He went, yeah. a 10, a 10. He said, I thought only John Barnes got the 10. <laughs> um, but yeah, 10. Actually, it's funny. Like One of my better performances was actually Swansea away in the game that I think Darren took it all off of me, to be fair. Uh, for going and bending balls in the top corner, helping people. But that day, I, I, I thought I played well in the top of the table clash and um, going back to probably a save that turned the game, I saved the penalty from Steve Watkin. Because yeah. um, Swansea were a decent side at the time. So I remember that being a good... I think that might have been not far off the Torquay game. Because I think I got 
a ten and a nine. Yeah. In consecutive weeks, but that one, I remember that being. But Darren killed me because Darren only went and chopped about ten players in their team and scored a goal, and then and then Ken Charlie headed one in in the last minute. So all I got remembered for was letting one in from twenty yards. Nothing <laughs> else got remembered. But yeah, so that was definitely one as well. Okay, right back to James Castle's other one. Who was the yeah. best defender to play with? Reliability, predictability, and understanding the opposition. Best one to play with. Oh, what a good question. Um, do you know what? The, the most reliable one would be Greg Hill. Because you knew exactly what you were going to get with Greg. Greg was probably... You, you wouldn't go to Greg, right, we're going to play out and pass around the back. Because mm. Greg wouldn't want to play like that. But if you wanted someone who was going to... For 90 minutes, it'd give you everything. Crash it, head and kick it. Uh, and be there every week. I remember one game in almost getting concussion and he was still trying to crawl out the penalty area um, to try and hold a line outside the box with concussion. Um, so probably him for reliability as a centre-half because every week you knew you knew he was just going to play it like it was his last. Brilliant. So, yeah, hopefully okay. um, One from Amber Forever. Favourite manager to play under? Okay, so I'm going to be pretty surprised but Peter Shreves. Um, yeah. Peter Shreves. Just because... Honestly, for half a season, it's the most enjoyable uh, with him and Martin I've ever I've ever been at a football club. It was almost it was just entertaining. He had a, ma- a way of making you feel a million dollars. Every player, um, you know, he had nicknames for all of them. He had ways about how he managed. He had stories, um, and alongside Martin, you know, Martin just made things, you know, routes to games where Martin would get you off the bus on route to game and go right. We're all going shopping. <laughs> we're nearly at the ground and we're going, what? We're going shopping. He went, yeah, we're having a party today at this ground. So we've all got to go and get something that's uh, we're going to bring to the party. And I remember John Doolan came back with balloons and streamers and we go in the change room before a game. And, and Shreezy kind of like went along with it. Yeah. It was, honestly, but that atmosphere then, he come in and just, you know, we, we believe we were going to go win every game. And it's a shame the season after that, I think Peter fell out with the chairman on, I've always said this, on the Stephen Bay game, um, where we played Scarborough um, on a a Saturday and Stephen on a Monday. And Peter knew the Stephen game was huge for the fans, huge for us. But the chairman wouldn't pay for an overnight to Scarborough. And Peter just couldn't get his head around it. Can't travel on the day to to Scarborough and then play our biggest game of the season on the Monday. And he, he just, after that, he just had enough. And he, he actually paid for the rooms himself on a credit card. Done it himself. But he then, I think he'd made his mind up then that uh, it was going to be too difficult to do the job and get what he wanted there and he was done. But honestly, for someone to make you feel, you know, I think Ian would probably say that as well because Ian played under him at Sheffield. But, yeah. And we played on some good managers. Managers that have won the, the, the conference. But for a manager to make you feel it, that you just enjoyed it, yeah, Peter. Okay. Um, one from uh, 19 what hindered you do you think from playing higher up uh, what hindered me uh, I think knocking the door down and going yeah like Scott yeah not, not having that cutthroat attitude to go in there and just you know I think I've always been a team player uh, I'm not saying others don't do that on team players but I think nowadays you'll see it through 
things. As soon as something don't go right or the contract's coming to an end, they, they look after themselves pretty quickly. And I don't think I did that. I always thought I found somewhere where I found home and I, and I wasn't, you know, I probably didn't fight for the biggest contracts at the club. I didn't fight to get myself out of there. So that probably hindered me when I was playing at my best. Yeah. To, to go and say, right, I'm available. And I think if I'd have thought that, I think Tony would have had a, a decision to make. I didn't give him that decision to make. So probably that, that was probably the biggest hindrance. Okay. Another one from him. The 2-1 away win at Swansea in 1999 lives long in the men- memory. Did you get to meet Cyril the Swan? <laughs> was he not in the prison behind the goal? Cyril the Swan. No. Um, I think, no, I didn't meet, I think I saw him that day. I think he was doing, he's getting chopped by Darren during the goal because I think everyone else did. <laughs> so every fan behind the goal went with, with it and all their players, nothing Cyril the Swan went as well. So no, I didn't get to meet. Didn't he get suspended once for like doing something? Cyril I think the Swan. So, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Um, right so no, I didn't. Second part to that one, um, the atmosphere there always felt quite lively in the stands of the Vetch, obviously. Was it the similar sort of thing you could feel on the pitch? Yeah, it was a great ground to play at. It was never felt like the biggest pitch. Yeah. You used to come in the corner, they had this big sort of stand behind the goal where all the home fans were, and a long terrace, which I think Darren cupped his ears to when he scored. <laughs> you, it was great because they were all, you know, when you had five, 6,000 Welshmen, like passionate and stuff like that in there, one of these tight old grounds that had character. It was great to play there. Great to, I loved playing there. And it always felt quite a tight pitch as well. Mm. You know, it never felt the biggest pitch. And it's probably some of the best best games I've seen played there. I mean, Bill Simpson from the halfway. Yeah. You know, when you, we were being battered, we were 1-0 up. And the ball, the keeper came up and it just fell to him. And it was the longest time I've ever seen a ball take to get to the goal. He didn't sort of hit it and hit the net. He just bobbed it in, but... Yeah, no, right. I loved playing there. Loved playing there. South End was a place I loved playing as well, ironically. ironically. We always seem to get results there. Um, right, one from Lee Hyams. Um, if an opportunity arose to come back to Barnet as goalkeeping coach under Darren, would you accept? And have you been close to return in the past? Uh, no, I haven't been close to returning because I've always been in other jobs. Um, so that hasn't happened. Would I? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like I said, I think I came back there the time before after leaving Peterborough because, you know, like I started as a kid at Orient and I've been back there a couple of times. This is a place where I've had most of my memories. You know, I know a lot of people still there. Don't get back there enough, um, but love to. So, yeah, look, if it, it's always one of those places. I think if, if he gets it right there, Darren, and gets time to do it, it could be such a good club, but there's lots of things that have got to happen yeah. to get people, to get supporters back on board because I don't think it's been done quite right to, to smooth that transition away from Underhill because it's such an iconic venue for the club. Okay. Uh, well, next question from Ben Strevens. <laughs> Why were you always so busy in a game? <laughs> that was just me, Strevs. Um, <laughs> I just think I had that coach's head on. Um, I said I, I loved it. From a young age, I got into coaching. I used to have to know what the opposition were doing, make sure everyone was doing. I was probably the perfect man for study to make sure a back four was organised because I probably took every one of his set pieces and I'm inside out. 
Um, so yeah, no, I was. If there was someone who was going to be organised and, and make sure things were done, and I don't think I was as busy as Scott McLeish. I think he might nick it off me. Um, but now Strebsy's probably right. I was, I was probably into everything and had to know everything and make sure everything was right. Excellent. All right, next one's from Darren Curry. Ah, gets better. Go on. I told you I got some great ones. Um, on. right, who's the best, slowest, blondest, funniest, two-footed winger that you've ever played with? Um, can I take funniest out of that? <laughs> take <laughs> the light out of it. No, that, no, listen. He knows what I think. I think what I loved watching him. I loved having him on my team because of what he could do. Um, so if he wants the answer, he's going to get it. Now you can have the answer. Like I said, I think he's the perfect person for Barnet at the moment. You know, someone who's got that, he understands what it's like to be a Barnet player from Underhill. Um, he wants to play the game the right way. Um, he just needs to be given the time to do it. So now he is the, the blondest, best hairstyle, slowest chop over, um, but best delivery of a ball. And, and honestly, he, he was like, uh, there's, there's stories I could tell, um, but they're, they're not for this, not for this one, about yeah. no, but wait to uh, but all, all I'll say is, um, and, and if he's listening, Darlington away first day of the season, when he wasn't supposed to play, um, and he scored two goals. And he'll remember the build-up to the game. That's all I'll say. Okay. I'll, I'll, that there. I'll ask him about that. I'll ask him privately. I did, I did say to him, though, I said it'd be funny if he came up with someone else. And he said, yeah, to be fair, he said, I'd laugh as well. I wasn't going to say Fraser Toms. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, what have we got next? What have we got next? Uh, right, one from Tom Bentley. Um, do you think the social nights out with the Curry Club helped or hindered your performance? <laughs> they were brilliant. Tom, like, Tom's done something I've never done. He's now going to play for England. Um, football. Football. Yeah, no, they didn't hinder my performance at all. It was great. I, I was sponsored by the Curry Club um, because it was a natural thing for them to do to take on whoever the goalkeeper was at the time. And we used to go over to the Curry House after games. It was great. They'd become great friends. Reckless, Paul, Bentley, Tom, uh, Richard. There was, like, there was a whole group of them. Brilliant. You know, great, great nights. Um, if Reckless is there, there is a keyboard just there, by the way. <laughs> Just so he knows, just so he's not being, you know, he's not going to be upset because we had a few nights where he'd come and then he'd play and I'd sing. So, no, they didn't hand him up falls at all. We always did him after a game. But, no, great, great, great people. And that's what I think kind of is missing at the club now. There's that, that, that linking with the supporters and the players that probably, it probably kind of started changing after myself and Ian left. Mm. Club. It was still we would play games and go down in the Durham suite, and you could get upset and have a beer and say what you wanted about the team. And we'd be in there, probably saying the same things. Okay, right. Couple from uh, Wes Friedel, who you know very well. Yeah, go on. Uh, right. For the benefit of the fans, can you explain why you were intent on ruining the glorious Underhill pitch by marking your centre lines? I did because it because it, it cheesed him off basically. The more he went on about it, the more I had to do it. Um, beforehand, I'd mark it well out of the area, but because he was so, listen, the pitch was fantastic. You know, like, it was so good of Wes to get Arsenal in to do the pitch for us. Uh, 
No, they, they were brilliant. It, well, Wes will know what I think of him, mate. I did. I think I was pretty good. I only used to mark the centre one. I didn't used to do everything else or stamp on the penalty spot. Um, but no, I, I, I think I was quite well behaved on the pitch. Um, although he'll disagree with me. <laughs> and the second one from him. Um, after being told to shove my fork up my backside at half-time of the final Underhill game, what's the worst abuse you've had from a crowd? I was really fortunate. I never actually got it from Steve Percy. <laughs> Uh, I, I am officially the only person in Barnet history you'll probably go come on and go actually I did give it to you <laughs> um, do you know what it wasn't I generally had a good, good rapport with most of the fans I think there was one person that did like me on the on the terrace on the East Terrace and, and I remember this story I don't know where it came from and I can't remember who the fellow's name was but I got told by the Curry Club that he'd shouted some abuse at me during a game mm. and a lad from the Curry Club Club Richard Jumain had actually punched him because he decided he was going to abuse me. So it's actually not one I heard, but one I found out afterwards that had caused trouble. Um, I don't think, generally from the Barney fans, they were putting me. You know, I was always, I always felt I was approachable. Yeah. If you had something to say to me, come down to the Durham Suite, have a beer and say it. And I think people did, you know, people could come and say it and just take it in the right way. I knew when I didn't play well. I think Ian was the same. He knew when we didn't play well. And we'd be the two down there having a beer. So I think when you have that link with people and you yeah. treat supporters as people, you, you generally they, they look after you in that way. Okay. Um, couple from um, Hooper 2. Was there ever a number two keeper you felt was a genuine threat as a B's number one? No. No, they were. Um, Nezzy should have been. Yeah. Nezzy should have been. Um, um, one who should have been was Rob Beckwith, um, but just didn't have the, he just didn't have the oomph to want to do it. He was a talented boy, thought highly of at Luton. When he came in and played the Swindon game, the cup was phenomenal. Yeah, uh, but just didn't love football. It was it was odd. He actually came in and seen me in here and went, I actually love it. I just rather tear my contract up and go do something else. And it was really hard for me to understand that because he's like. I just, I just would play, but he was a talented boy, but just didn't have that, that drive. So probably Rob Beckwith would be the one who had all that talent, could kick, do all the stuff, but just didn't have that, that get up and go to do it. Okay, um, you played as part of some strong teams in Barnet Colours as we've yeah. gone through. How did you prepare for games where the teams weren't quite as tight or as strong as some of the ones you played in? Uh, what do you mean they were as tight as us or I well, think no, was, more, more sort of our, our team was maybe what's the word not, not lacking in ability but they weren't the likes of your Punchins and your Nicky Bailey yeah I, I, I think it was probably our undoing in the end I think we were a team that I wouldn't say we overachieved the first playoff season yeah. um, we were very pragmatic I think it got us so far but when you needed match winners and I learned that I think when I saw Dagenham's team that got he needed the three or four players in that team, like a Darren, like a, you know, like a Punchin that could win you the game. I think that's probably what we were missing in that first team. No, we had good players, but you, there wasn't ones that were, you know, superstars. We yeah. were just a very good team, and I think we probably didn't have those players. We had to grind results out those first seasons. The the, the, the next time we probably didn't have the steely 
like players and back four to then go and let the punchins go and do it the second time round we had it. So I think the undoing of us is probably not having those match winners, which then when we played Peterborough, they had the Dave Farrell that could go and win a game and have a night like that and go do it, but we didn't have. So that probably would be the answer to that one. Okay. Um, one from Michael Charlton. Um, why did most of your goal kicks go out of play? Did you not allow for the slope or the wind? No, I was. I had two advertising holdings that I'd obviously paid for to hit them. And this started at Norwich. I remember being in the warm-up and, and John still coming over to me and going, and telling me about, I don't know, Coleman's mustard was the sign up there at Norwich. Yeah, That's how he got hit today. And my job was to either kick it out of play or if I could get their fullback to flick it out for a throw-in, every time it went inside and stayed on the pitch, he went berserk. And, and every time it went out of play, 3,000 people groaned and he thumbsed up me during the game. And, I, and, and to tell you, I think, I remember coming back and playing my first game against Torquay in my second spell. Yeah. And Paul, Paul didn't play like that. It was just play up to Trazel. And I remember doing it, and my first few kicks went straight down the middle towards Trazel. And someone said behind the goal on the North Terrace, when, I tell you what, his kicking's improved. He's kicking it down the middle now. And they see, had no idea that part of it was, honestly, I had to hit it just, if it went out of play, it was success. It was, you had to have thick skin to do it. Yeah. I knew that would have been John's tactic. I knew that was going to be the answer to the question. But honestly, I was going to ask it anyway. Times where I'd kick it down the middle and the fans would be happy. Yeah. And I'd get an absolute earful when I got back in the change room because he'd work out that that had come back somewhere and <laughs> given them a tack about 10 minutes later. <laughs> and from that one, actually, John L was gone. Did you know that every time a keeper kicks a ball out on the full at the hive, there's a chorus of Harrison, Harrison, Harrison? I love it. I mean, I'm happy with it. And I think there should be an advertising hoarding in my name, three quarters of the way up the pitch. <laughs> and I might sponsor it. Huh? Sorry? I might sponsor it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Chris Emmer is put in a comment. Lee, I remember Darlington away on a Tuesday night 2000 when you kicked four goal kicks in a row out of play. I know, and I think I've got four thumbs up from Stilly. Yeah, you probably did. <laughs> um, right, next fruit, next next few from Reckless. Okay. Yeah. Um, right, favourite chocolate biscuit, milk or dark? Oh, dark. Oh. Um, right. Do you remember the fancy dress party at your house after South End away after you invited your sponsors, the Curry Club? Limboy Primus turns up in a provocative outfit. Lena asks him, where does he keep his wallet? And then says, oh, yes, I can see it. Yeah, so Lynn, oh, we beat South End 3 2. Yeah. And um, because South End was local, he tried to have a, a fancy dress party. And Lynn, I mean, how he did it, he actually got pet, a local petrol station dressed as a pink fairy. And I'll, I'll dig the picture out, I promise. I think he might have gone out somewhere in a book. It might have been in Lynn Boy's book, you know, might somewhere. Yeah. It might be in there. But um, I'll dig the picture out. But okay. yeah, everyone, everyone turned up. Uh, and Lynn Boy, um, at 10 o'clock at night rolled up as a pink fair pink tutor and there wasn't a lot left to the imagination <laughs> um, Lena would have been happy tell reckless um, and the next bit of it the cafe you went to the next morning and where you sat reckless telling him why as he was eating 
Okay, so it's called Rebel's Calf. Right. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's notorious because someone, a deal went wrong there a few years ago, uh, and they came through the back there one Sunday morning and shot them. <laughs> um, but I took him to this calf and relayed the story as he was eating his, eating his uh, you know, his, uh, his full-on English. Yeah. And I've never seen anyone eat it so quick, I want to get out. <laughs> well, fantastic. Um, I've also got a little bit from him as well that says, um, it's sincerely a pleasure getting to know Lee, not only as an ambassador for everything he does and a wonderful servant to Bardiff Football Club, but it's also not a bad bloke either. No, obviously top top man and, you know, what he can do on the keyboard one night, I'm sure he'll be doing again. So brilliant, what a great fella. Um, right, next one, I've got one or two here from Pete Williamson. Um, yeah. What were the feelings like amongst the senior players during Tony Cotty's era? Just, um, I think it was just, they didn't know what direction the football club were moving in. Like I said, you know, a player manager who had a good pedigree, but was really green in management. Uh, um, and was trying to change a style that you probably, if you're going to do it, you do it greatly. You probably just keep it the same, keep it rolling, and if you're going to make changes in the summer, but it was just in amongst the squad. It was just, it was fractious, but not in a way of they were niggling at each other. It was just, you could tell there was just different, different groups and, and things going on. And it was just really hard to get back. So I think I've probably covered that a little bit in the thing, but yeah, yeah, just, just the club was just going in all sorts of directions in that time. Okay. And how did, how did you see the game as an experienced pro compared to that of a youngster, i.e. your attitude to training and respect towards managers? Yeah, I don't think my attitude changed. I think I'd always give everything. I was always a team player. I was always one, obviously, because I hit advertising holdings. I was always one that this is what the manager wants. Yeah. That's why we're doing it for the team and I would do it. I didn't change from that. I think what I learned the second time round was to have a little bit more of a voice. Um... And because I came back, I felt it was more my club. Yeah. Um, and I don't mean that in a in a greedy way. And you know, it's all it's all about me. I I felt a bit like Ian. You could finish games, and I felt I had the right to sort of say to players, you know, this is hold on a minute. You're not just here. Your responsibility to come into Barnet and, and being that player. You know, be it a punch and a doma. You know, it wasn't just letting the young young players come in and do what they want there was a, an expectation coming in of being a Barnett player. So I think the second time round with Ian, Hess, I, I learned to have more of a voice then in the change room and say, well, well, that's not right. That's not how we do things here. Okay. Bearing in mind, obviously, you've got quite a coaching background and credentials at the moment. How would you set a team up to play in the National League or League Two? Formation, type of play you want, style of football? I think you try and play now. I think even going down into the League Twos, it's very rare now that teams don't play. I think the rules of the game, the rules of the game are dictated. It's a less physical game. Yeah. Um, you play less with wingers. I'd probably play a three-four-one-two. I'd want to be quite attacking. Um, I think centre halves now have got to be good on the ball. Um, I still think you need a mix up top. I think Barnett have kind of got it right with Paul McCallum. You know, we spoke earlier before we came on here. A great signing for Barnett to try and get out of this league. If you're going to sign one, and we signed him at Orion, me and Ian, um, he's the perfect four, and I hope they get him back for the playoffs. 
So the first thing I did was I want to play Barney. I'd sign Paul McCallum before they do. <laughs> nice answer. Nice answer. Uh, right, what else? Uh, another one from Who for Two. Um, how difficult is it as a keeper if you've not gelled on a personal level with your defenders? Um, no, I think it's difficult. I think you have to have that relationship with your back four. I think it takes time. I don't think you have to be best mates, but I think you have to have an understanding of what you are on the pitch because the communication between them and the back four, they have to understand where you're, how you're going. You have to understand how their game is. So it is it's crucial. But this is why I come back to it. It's really difficult to do that in two or three games. I think you have to kind of go with it and let that relationship develop. And you have to be quite brave with it. And I think, coming back to Darren, Darren's kind of got that again now with Scott Loach. I think he's another, another great, great signing to get you out of this division. Not only get you out of this division, when you're in the next one, yeah. they can cope with that. Yeah. You don't just want to get out of this division. You don't want to go and, and you don't want to happen with the things that happened with Barnet before you go up and you end up coming straight back down because you haven't got the players to deal with it. I think now McCallum, Loach, those players now can carry the club into that. So the relationship is key. And I know Scotty will have that, you know, with with the people he's got now, you know. Okay. Right, a couple from um, MCB. Um, what's your long-term aim in the game now you've hung your gloves up? And why do so few goalkeepers go on to become managers? Is it because they are genuinely mad as hatters? No, I think they used to be. I'm not going to change that, that theory. Um, I think now, obviously, there's a few. I think the lad at the walls now is, is, is a goalkeeper. Wasn't Mourinho a goalkeeper? Mm -hmm. no. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't that charity game. No, I think it's just probably not looked upon as, as something that goalkeepers do and I think it's got even more specific now. I'm probably one of the only ones who went and did an airfield license before I went and did a goalkeeper specific. Um, so I think it's difficult. I think the only ones that would go into it, I think people stay in the game longer. So you end up playing until, you know, I've just, I finished at West Ham and UC was probably 38, 39. So they're not naturally then managers' jobs. I, just, yeah. I, I don't know what it is. I think, I think the manager has to have a better understanding of all the positions. And I think probably lending to them, that's probably why the outfield ones do it. It's not something you couldn't do and I couldn't do, but I think there's just this this, this thing around the game that you'd probably need. I'm not even sure they think centre-forwards are the best managers. I think they probably look at a midfielder or a centre-half as the ones that are going to do it. The ones that are probably the organisers or the captains in the team. Um yeah, I've got a definitive answer as to why. I just think it's the roles they take. They end up being player coach, uh, a bit like I did at Barnet. It falls into that role. Okay. Um, who does Luke support? Luke's a Liverpool fan as well with me. Typical, I know. <laughs> you, you, you're supposed to say Barnet. Yeah, he did when I was there, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we've, we've had a Fraser Tom story. You must have a Liam Hatch story. Oh, Liam Hatch story. Wow. Uh, Hatchy was brilliant. Hatchy, um, I think Hatchy, the only Hatchy story I could tell is he was terrorised by Andy Hessenthaler, <laughs> who would chase him round and round the changing room and almost make him cry. Which, when you saw this four foot five midfielder chasing a six foot five centre forward around, 
would you just cry with laughter, but Hatchie was in fear of Hess. Really? Of how he spoke to him and everything like that. It was great. Hatchie, Hatchie was brilliant. Hatchie was the only six foot five centre forward who thought he was a midfield player and should be doing drag backs on the halfway line. <laughs> um, so, like I said, he was a gentle giant. Um, he was a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> although he looked at and he was the best person to put on with 10 minutes to go because yeah. he'd run around like an absolute loon and he'd head balls and head everything um, I haven't got a definitive story about him apart from I think me and Ian I think Tony had had enough of him the chairman and said that you just got to get rid of him and Ian done great Ian just said to, to Hatchy do yourself a favour just hold the ball up lay it wide and stay in the middle and he had a six-month spell where it went fantastic for him. And they sold him. Yeah. Sold him to Peterborough. And it was like, where did that come from? He was a great lad, but where did that come from? And if it, I think if Hatchie had done that, his career, he'd have probably made a hell of a career for himself. But, uh, no, great lad. Would, I mean, he, he headed Paul, Hen, uh, Paul Benson. He, he couldn't mark Hatchie. He couldn't mark anyone at corners. He'd lose him. But if you put him on the middle of the six-yard line, he'd head everything. And yeah. I remember he headed Paul Benson's head. And I just remember teeth flying everywhere. And I was like, wow. He was dopey. He would. Dopey. But brilliant. Great lad. Great lad. Excellent. Um, right, one from Andy McTair. Um, on the subject of John Steele's instructions, can you explain the windmill? <laughs> it was always like, let's get yeah, everything. Yeah, it was build up. It yeah. was <laughs> I remember it well because I was chuckling. It was almost like the further we got down the pitch and the, the quicker we had to do it. Yeah. It was like, just pick the ball up and throw it before they get set. So the windmill was almost like, just quicker, quicker, quicker. I mean, I couldn't kick the ball quick enough in the end. It almost in my hands, but I had to volley it down the pitch. Um, and then they had to run after it quicker. Um, it was all right though. February, we were burnt out <laughs> because the windmill, windmill was going quicker. But yeah, I do remember that one. Yeah, you go. I do remember that. Uh, right, one from Heathrow Snowman. Um, I used to collect your autograph every game on the North Terrace. However, I never got your gloves. Can I have them now? That's from Callum, age 32 and 17 days. Absolutely, Callum, because I've, I've seen this one there and he's mentioned it, so it's a deal. There um, we go. Right, uh, I think I've got a couple more. Right, one from David Sims. Um, why, in your opinion, are Barnet a yo-yo club? More specifically, when we get promoted, we don't push on or consolidate, but drift into a battle, a series of relegation battles until our luck runs out. Is our level, bottom six, league two, <coughs> top ten, national league, naturally? I think you probably would say that over the last few years. That's how it's been. I think they've had big players. Yeah. Um, but not enough of them. You've Like the Akindis and stuff have got you out of the league and then they've moved on. And I think, listen, that might change now, the budgets and stuff like that, and the, the wage capping might actually going forward. But there's some big money being spent in the last few years, even in League Two. And I can only speak from experience. It was always difficult to get players in there in League Two because, I, I mean, we had ways of doing contracts that they were paid minimum wage. If they're on two years, they got minimum wage in their off-season. And you're trying to explain to players that this is what happens here. And they don't sign for you. So you start losing those players. And um, I think, you know, there's got to be a concerted effort to say, right, we're going to go because there's clubs coming back down again that you would say Stevenage and 
no different in size. I know I get slammed for saying that on here. Oh, that's brave. That's brave. You know, yeah, but they're, they're not dissimilar to Barnet in size. And they've just come back down again. So has the chairman learned now that when you begin, although you've got this fantastic facility, it's actually what you put on the pitch and the structure and the players that you put there and the management staff that you do, you put there is going to be key to, to moving that club forward again. Because you can show the players the training ground, but if you're not going to get the best players in there, you know, they've pushed the boat out to get Paul McCallum. They need to get him and keep him. They need to keep Scott Loach there for next year. They need to add three or four again then next year when they go so they become a mid-table side. And to be fair, we probably did it when when Paul and I came in. We became that mid-table side. How you go again and become the next one after that is difficult. It takes a little bit more funding. Now, it might be helpful because of the wage cap now. Okay. Clubs can't run away with it as much. That's all the questions they've got. Right, I've got a couple. Um, what do you think needs to change at Barnet Football Club to make it more, more of a friendly club like it used to be at Underhill? Yeah, I think it's... I mean, I know they're Gratz's bar and stuff like that. I think uh, we were speaking beforehand. I think there's a lot of like players like myself, Gary Phillips and stuff like that, who are key to this football club. And that's not hanging on to the past, but, but Barnet has been about Underhill and a lot of those fans you know, would love to go back to Underhill and that's not going to happen because he's gone now. But how you transition that across um, is key to this football club. Now, Darren being manager is one. Can you can you give a Gary a role at the football club hosting on a match day? One of the best people and speakers that people would to go to listen to. But you can't just get him across there and make him pay to pay the car park and make him pay for his ticket. You have to you know, make that a role for him to come and do. Um, because part of the experience of going to a game is not to game now. Um, speaking to friends at Wickham now, they've made the car park is part of the game now, a Wickham game. They have tailgate parties, they have barbecues. All the old players go back there. It's somewhere now the fans all want to go back to. And they're on an, an old ground and a trading estate. Make the hive somewhere where people want to go and have an experience. Uh, and then include the, the the people who have gone. Well, it's not my ground now. I'm not going to go there. So get those old players. You know, get the Hendos. Get the Gary. Get them involved. Not on the coaching side, but get them involved going over there to host to have put marquees up. You know, have the links. You know, the people are there to that want to do it. So that's big for me. That's big for me. And secondly, obviously we're in the playoffs. It's going to be an absolute lottery with not having played for three months and you know two or three weeks training at best the sides are going to get how much chance do you think we have of winning them I think if Barney get through this game they've got the biggest advantage and, and, and I'll tell you the reason why normally when you get into the National League playoffs the two teams that go straight to the semi-finals get a nice week and a half rest before they play the semi-final and the teams that have just got into it in the on the, the seventh and sixth place, almost go straight into a game. Well, now everyone's rested, so no one's the rest doesn't matter anymore. Everyone's the same. What will happen is if Barney can get through that first game, they'll have had a game on the team that they're going to play in the semi final. Yeah, but you know what seasons are like. It takes you a couple of games to get going. Yeah. So Barney can beat Yeovil 
they're going to play a Notts County side that are cold, that haven't had any match day experience. They might have had a couple of practice games, but they've not had what Barnet have had, momentum coming into it. And Barnet won't have had 46 games they've already played, fallen into those playoffs and the rest. I actually think they've got a good advantage if they can do it. So, yeah, they're a good chance if they do the first game. Brilliant. Okay, that's everything I've got. Anything else you want to add yourself? No, brilliant. Listen, just thanks for having me on here. It's been good. I need 12 viewers just to get Gary fair, Gary to, 12, uh, to his 2,000. Well, we got him to his 2,000. We managed that. So, no, brilliant. That's it. It's a pleasure to be on here. That's it. It's a great, great football club for me personally, but to a lot of other people. And that's it. I look forward to coming back over there soon. Brilliant. Lovely. Thanks for your time, Lee. No, cheers, mate. Thank you. And stop the Facebook one. And stop the Facebook one.